welcome to the podcast of power the well it's not the only show but the best show that talks about the lord of the rings the rings of power oh those rings that we have heard such marvelous things about we are talking about the fourth episode of the first season we're talking about the great wave surfs up dude yeah right in that great dwarven wave my name is Stoogie elrond is it the dwarves that call the that cause the big wave? Uh, the wave that we see in this episode? Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, uh, he who he who uh, he who receives the wave is he who created the wave. The, <laughs> as the Numenorians are soon to to learn. I was hoping you would introduce me as Doogie Elrond because oh. that is uh, man, that is really what Elrond looks like with that haircut. He looks like Doogie Hauser. I can see that. Yeah. Oh, by the way, this is Chris Dashu. I'm Mike White, so it's good to talk with you again. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> yes. I it think is. so. Yeah. This show's this show's good. <laughs> yes. This show is good. So it is good to talk. I, you know, judging by the online discourse, though, you would think that we're watching, I guess, state-sanctioned snuff films. <laughs> we are watching someone that has dug up J.R.R. Tolkien's corpse and just is having a skull fuck or two. <laughs> I, I, I guess so. I just wow. You know, the Lord of the Rings subreddit and the LOTR meme subreddit was somewhere that I used to enjoy going to. It was somewhere I used to like to go. Yeah, not so much anymore. But hey, you know what? At least we got a title for this episode. At least it's not episode 1.4 or whatever it was being billed as before they released the title the day the episode came out. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know why the secrecy, but you know, okay, if that's how you're going to run it, that's cool. We didn't sure. used to know what the episode titles were, and there's a lot of shows where you watch the whole show and you never know that there even is an episode. Yeah, title. title. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So this episode is all about Numenor and the dwarves. It's interesting. This show really well. Didn't, don't I guess forget the, about the orcs too. Right, but, right. The orcs that they're they should just have their own show. Um, yeah. But Adar and the Orcs. Right. I would, <laughs> I would watch that show, but we don't get any of the Harfoots. So right. it's weird. Like the Harfoots aren't in every episode. I don't know if you've, no- if you've noticed that. It's like it's not. It's like every other episode, it seems. Well, it's Maybe. like Elrond. I don't think Elrond was in last week's episode. Yeah. No, I don't think he was either. No, we didn't yes. even check in with the dwarves last week. Yeah, so you're getting three stories right now, or three of the four storylines are going on. Yeah, so we have, yeah, Elrond, then we have Theo, son of the woman who loves the the elf who's captured out in the wilds by the elf father, or the orc father, I guess. And then, yeah, we have the entire Numenor story with Galadriel. So what did you think of this week's episode, Mike? Well, we're getting to the point where Andrea is walking out of these episodes and not asking me to pause because she's completely confused because of the cross-cutting. I like it, and I like where we went, and I like where we were taking this story. So I had a good time, and I was glad that we don't know a whole lot about Adar after, you know, makes his appearance. Last week was named after him, even though he was just shown in a very blurry image. Uh, but I like that we have the elf captain returning to Bronwyn and we're getting those two storylines converging a little bit more. That was nice. And very curious to see where the Galadriel story goes. And yeah, I, I really like seeing Durin and 
Elrond hanging out together gives me a lot of Legolas Gimli vibes. So I'm enjoying that quite a bit. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing myself this episode. It's like there's a lot of inter like the interplay between Elrond and Durin, I would say, is the focus of the episode. That's the oh, yeah. a, that's the A plot. And then the B plot is what's going on in Numenor. And then the C plot is everything that ha- that's happening in the Southlands with Bronwyn's son, who still there are some weird things now happening in this show. So not weird things, but again, we don't know what was happening in the world at this time per Tolkien's text. So this is just kind of Sauron is rising to power. So what does that mean for the world and the people in the world? Because they're obviously just like with Morgoth, there were sympathizers for Morgoth. So, and they were human. So there are undoubtedly going to be Sauron sympathizers as well, who are more than likely human and we're kind of seeing that already which is interesting because i didn't expect it to be in the fourth episode of this show Mm -hmm. well it does really feel like the elves were an occupying force and so after a while the humans the men were just really hating on the elves even though the elves were ostensibly keeping them safe though apparently not doing that great of a job since we've had the rise of the orcs again but they're there to protect the humans and the humans are just like a lot of them don't like that they're there. They don't like their presence. So it feels very, you know, Germany, 1920s and 30s kind of thing to me. Yeah, well, and that's clearly where Tolkien was drawing inspiration from with his original source material text. So, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, this is really a part of the Lord of the Rings world that we've never seen. We've never seen the reactions to the elves be disgust and abject just like anger and hatred towards them we haven't seen that and now that we're seeing it in this show it's yeah it's interesting because again like the my perception of the elves at the time of the lord of the rings story is you know they're they're leaving a they're leaving the world of their own choice and they're getting the hell out of dodge as soon as they can because they refuse to help because they've already helped two other times there are three other times even so yeah i don't I don't know. It's interesting. It's an interesting story direction because, again, we haven't seen anything like this in the Lord of the Rings world yet. Mm-hmm. This whole thing of them setting up that Sauron has many names. I mean, it almost feels like we're starting to do this. Who is going to be the Dark Lord type of thing? Like, will it be Theo? Is it Adar? Is it this person? Have we not seen them yet? It's just like kind of a weird way that they're going with this. And I hope that they don't start playing this game where it's like, watching the mentalist and it's like oh is he red john is he red john and it's like no enough you know red john's probably going to be somebody we've never even seen before well and that's the thing that we've kind of talked about already with this show is how are they going to introduce real villains because they've introduced adar already but he let the elf go to tell him, you know, Hey, you know, like go make a deal with your people because otherwise like go make a deal with your people around here. Otherwise like we're coming to get you and like they're surrender the Southlands or else. Mm-hmm. And then supposedly the, the orcs that he has have found something again. We don't know what, which is again, exciting for this show because yeah, there, there is a lot of, I think we've gotten to the point with this episode where there is a lot of familiarity with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And at this point it's like, Oh yeah, you know, I, I oh here's Galadriel and all oh, the Palantir and all oh, Numenor and oh, you know, saw they finally mentioned Sauron and oh, you know, here's the essentially like a Morgul blade. Like we're getting to the point where there are, they're introducing a lot of things that even the most 
casual viewer might recognize from the original series. But what's weird about this episode is it feels like, I mean, it is obviously the midway of the season. I mean, this is ha- we're already halfway done with the first season of the show, which is crazy. But it really feels like a big moment in the show that they have, you know, the Numenorians going, we are going to help the men of the Southlands. Uh-huh. And it's a big moment. I'm surprised it's in the fourth episode of the show because the Numenor stuff, I'm not going to lie to you. The Numenor stuff is probably my least interesting. It's oh, yeah. so kind of muddy. And it was getting real old, real fast. Castle it's- intrigue. It is not. Yeah. Yeah. I really just did not need all this. I mean, and we get to see the king, but he doesn't even get to say a word. Right. Yeah. Well, he yeah, we get his, you know, the queen regent tells this story about how he helped the elves. And because he helped the elves, the people of Numenor didn't appreciate that. And so they brought her in to be the true leader of Numenor. But they have the Palantir and the Palantir shows how. Numenor gets destroyed. I mean, Numenor gets destroyed, sunk back into the ocean. And you get, I mean, that is what's going to happen. I mean, the the visions are real. I mean, they say as much multiple times in the show, like these visions are going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But I'm just kind of surprised that they're setting this, they're setting this up so early because this is, this feels like a storyline that wouldn't be taking place in this show until the second or third season. Hmm. And they're like fourth episode of the first season. They're already like, Numenor is going to be destroyed. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me question just how big the scope of this show is. Right. Likewise. If this is the midway through the first season. Okay, great. You know, is it going to be the last episode of the first season? Will it be like the seventh? You know, we've only had four more to go. Right. And it's so interesting that. I mean, Numenor is basically a stand-in right now for Atlantis, the way that we're playing this idyllic society. They're so much more advanced than any of the humans that are over on the mainland. And yeah, they're going to get wiped off of the earth. Yeah. And now we know that as an as as an audience member, again, before it was, you know, if you knew the source material, that's where it was going. But now it's you've seen it as an audience member. So you're essentially going to see that shot. Maybe not that exact same shot, but Numenor is going to be destroyed again. That's not really a spoiler. That's just where the show's clearly already made its case for going. And I think that's also the other issue with the Numenor storyline. It's the fact that they've already mentioned, you know, oh, it's going to be destroyed to the audience and not just. Mm -hmm. If you're an audience member, you know where this is going. Like with what's going on with the, the dwarves, you know, they don't say Balrog, but if you know, that's what's going on. I mean, that's what's happening. That's what King is attempting to prevent is right. that them digging too deep for all of the Mithril. But they don't say like, oh, well, if we dig too deep, we're going to find a Balrog. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't know. I don't need the show to be that over the head with stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm glad that, you know, right now they're not telling telegraphing who Ilsildur is and where he's going to be going in his life. And his stuff was fairly interesting. It's okay, though. I felt like Boatmaster really overreacted. Yeah. Well, it's like you ruined everything and you brought shame upon your family. And it's like. Because oh. you didn't catch a rope. Yeah. I'm sorry. All of that. Like, yeah, there was a rope mishap in the last episode and he didn't say this is the last time. Ilsildur. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't. Again, the stuff in Numenor, I think 
I don't know. I don't I want to I don't want to say it's been the weakest stuff so far in the show. It has. I think it has been. Though. Yeah. Uh-huh. I actually think everything with Galadriel has been. It's not as interesting as I would have hoped, given where they right. started out. Right. The first episode when she was killing that, you know, snow troll and all that, I was like, okay, this is really cool. Yeah. But right now she's kind of a damsel in distress. She's not the master of her own fate, and she has to rely on the decisions of others right now and, and their mercy before she can actually start to act again. Right. I'm waiting for her to get back to the mainland. Right. Me too. It's like this, uh, you know, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me a lot of Game of Thrones, like season two through six with Daenerys had her doing her own thing in another place for like three or four seasons. Really? Yeah. It's that show has a multitude of problems and taking one of the main characters and keeping her separate from the main shows cast for almost all of the show is but one of them. Wow. But I was genuinely concerned and still kind of am that they're treating Galadriel's character in that same way where it's like, we're going to keep her away from all the big stuff until it's like now the big now we're not going to keep her away from the big stuff. We'll keep her away from the buildup up to the big stuff. But then when the big stuff happens, she will be the most important part of it. It's like, I don't like that storytelling because wow. right now her story is not interesting. Like you said, right. she's not given a lot of she's really not given a lot of uh She's not given an ability to make decisions for herself. Mm-hmm. None. And, and again, like, yeah, we have, you know, the character of Farazan who plays a rather big part later in the story, the character of Muriel, and then the character of Elendil are kind of all there with their own machinations, but it's just not particularly interesting. We're not right. given enough, you know, frankly, what the real problem is. We're not given enough information about any of those other kind of castle characters like yeah. Muriel, like Farazan. I mean, we know who Elendil is. We know who Isildur is, but that's because they're connected to one another. Right. Outside of that, it's like, I don't know. You know Farazan just shows up this episode. Like, he's going to be a huge part of this story. But they're just like, oh, and here he is. Like, we're supposed to know. Again, it's this weird thing where the show does go, well, you know the story. So we're not going <laughs> to be like, oh, here's Farazan. We'll tell you all about him. But at the same time, like, you haven't told us essentially anything. And for people who don't have any experience with the source material, which you have to assume some of these people who are watching the show are going to just be less than even casual fans. They're just watching it to watch it. You need to explain who that character is to them, at least Mm -hmm. more so than what they did here, which is not really do anything. Yeah, Farazan is the guy with the big beard, right? Yeah, and the The great big bushy beard. And the great hair, too. Yeah, he was... In the very first time that we came to that court, we saw him because I kept wondering, who is this guy and what is he in relation to the queen? Because he looks old enough to be your father. I know he's not, but I'm just like, who is this? And then I also kept wondering, is that Michael Sheen? Is that the guy's name from like Good Omens? From Good Omens? No, it's yeah. uh, it's it's not, but it looks like him. Right? right. <laughs> yeah, it does look yeah. like him. C- Tristan Gravel or something yeah. is his name. But yeah, not Michael Sheen, though. I really was like, oh, here's another familiar face. Yeah. Yeah, he, he plays a really big part in the downfall of Numenor, but it's kind of weird because, yeah, he he's an important character, obviously, to the whole kind of high intrigue of what's going on in Numenor with the queen regent and the king who saw the future and paid for it. It's interesting. I, I, again, I don't know. I 
I appreciate what they're doing by having Galadriel go to Numenor and it'd be like, look, she's an elf out of place in a place where elves are not welcome. But again, isn't that a little on the nose? Like, mm-hmm. isn't yeah. it, is it? Why do we need to see another, another scene of a bunch of Numenorians screaming about how terrible elves are? Like, I, I get it. Like, I think the audience gets it at this point because almost all of the interactions Galadriel has had with anyone at Numenor have been, you're an elf. Mm-hmm. You're terrible because you're an elf. And it's like, oh, so is there nothing else to this character's interactions with these people here? Like, why does she care? Like, why Why do they care? Why does she care that they care? If I were her, I'd just be like, I'm out of here. Like, whatever. But it's it's weird. The way that they're writing the characters in Numenor, there's like this separation between the people that she's interacting with and then like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a little realistic, I guess, given that everyone she's interacting with are these like high noble people. But yeah, I could do without these scenes of, you know, people, you know, common folks screaming in the streets about how terrible elves are. It's like this is a little on the nose show. Yeah. Yeah. When that guy was out there preaching, I was like, oh, do I need to see this in Lord of the Rings? Like, really? Yeah. 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 It's it is tough because these I mean, I like the the actress that plays Galadriel, and I would like Elendil, the, yeah. uh, the father. Mm-hmm. Nobody else seems to have a lot of charisma. They're Mm-mm. just not capturing me as far as like, oh, I, I want to know more about her. Wow, she seems really interesting. Or him, he seems great. It's like, they're just kind of there. Like, to your point, they're underwritten. They're not using them very well at all right now. Right. And, and maybe suddenly they'll develop personalities two episodes down the line. Well, that's the that's that's the question that I have is like, if you're not doing it now, are you going to do it when Farazan is a large part of this story? Because he will become a very large part of this story. Very, maybe not very soon, but at some point. Mm-hmm. And it's and again, yeah, to your point, it's like, well, y- you can't build him up then. Right. So could you do it now? Like mm-hmm. you're going to spend time having the scene with him out and about amongst the people, you know, saying, you know, kind of speaking his piece. But again, like, I don't, why would anyone listen to him is the question. Right. It's not been established why he's important. He just looks important. And I'm, yeah. show don't tell is fine, but you got to tell us something. Uh-huh. But yeah, then we get please. to the stuff with the elves and the dwarves, and then it kind of redeems almost everything else. Yeah. I mean, that's super entertaining. And I'm also now, I'm very intrigued. The whole thing with Peter Mullen, where during the, the elder is talking with during the younger. I'm just like, Ooh, what's going on here? This is good. And then I was really glad you were right on the money, of course, with the mithril. And they did have that nice little, like, Oh, I think in your tongue, it'd be something like this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. They're going to really hit. They're hitting the nail really on high. the head, yeah. baby. Boom. No, I okay. believe it's pronounced mithril trademark. <laughs> Tolkien family estate. I was, uh, I was, Glad we had more of Doran's wife, who I think we both find to be very lovely. Oh, yeah. And but the scenes of Elrond sneaking around the caves, I was just like, this feels a little Alec Guinness and the Death Star. But also, how's this elf just wandering around these caves with nobody saying, hey, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. Look, oh, Jesus. The uh, as much as I like Elrond, which I do like Elrond a lot. Robert Arameo, the look of him, he looks like a dweeb. 
He looks like a dork. He looks like Doogie Hauser. Like his haircut makes him look like Doogie Hauser. But he's real. Like he has charisma that the rest of the show in parts lacks. Like right. a, most of everything in Numenor lacks a, a charismatic lead other than Morphin Clark, who's, you know, I have a tempest inside me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like again, you know, those lines are cool if they're given an opportunity to be in a scene that matters. Right. But it's like they're giving a lot of it to Elrond still. Like, really. Again, like he, he even gets this, this fantastic monologue where he's, you know, Doran is complaining about his father stopping the mining of Mithril. Cough, good idea. <laughs> uh, and he, you know, he, Doran comes in and he's like, well, I never want to have to talk to him again. He's such, you know, he's such an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And Elrond just goes, you know, dresses him down. He's like, hey, I wish I had one minute to talk to my father ever again, let alone him still being alive like yours is. And that whole monologue is really great. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And it it just shows again, it shows what happens when the show is operating on really operating on all cylinders. It really is a well-written show when it's able when it's to well be. Written. Yeah. I yeah. Don't, well, when I, it's good, it's great. Yeah. And when it's meh it's really not good yeah you know this this episode is written by jd Payne, patrick mckay and stephanie Folsom. and they wrote everybody but stephanie Folsom wrote the first episode and then jennifer hutchison wrote the second and then another group of people wrote the third this is now in my opinion the weakest episode of the four Mm. so far and I think it really feels like too, it does kind of feel like too many people pulling in too many directions. We got to have this. We got to have, it's like, like that stuff with Theo and Sauron feels real tacked on. Mm-hmm. Like as much as I appreciate it and I'm interested to see where it's going. It's like all of a sudden there's a fifth faction that's being introduced. The humans for Sauron faction. Yes. You know, yeah. The the what was it? The people for the cheating cheetahs eating my face party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> leopard the yeah, the leopards ate my face party for sure. Right. I mean that's I mean that's again that's where I assume that story is going with the humans and Sauron is they're about to learn real quick why you don't ally yourself with the Dark Lord, but right. I as much as I appreciate that scene, once again, we get to see the orcs being real scary in the scene with Theo and his friend going to steal food back. And then, of course, Theo has to push the issue and go get more food. I appreciated that scene for the cinematography, but it falls into this camp of and again, Game of Thrones kind of ruined this for me. These like shows these like high fantasy shows, they can't do evening scenes worth a shit like at all. And I don't get it because it's like, okay, so. We have to admit that there's no way to light these scenes other than like torches and right. campfires. And it's like damn near impossible to see what's going on in the, in most of the scene with Theo, just like in Lord, in Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones in the last season of that show. One entire episode is, is, is dark. And they were like, well, your TVs are just too dark. Turn the brightness up. It's like, <laughs> wait a second here. Yeah. A- and it's weird because this show did it too. And like, it just always stuck in my mind since I saw it in Game of Thrones when they were like, well, it's just your TV. That's the problem. It's not our show being too dark. And, it's, and it is an issue with these kinds of high fantasy shows. Now, you know, I don't, I don't remember there being that big of an issue lighting Helms deep. Right. And right. that was all at night. Yeah. I mean, you had one single source of light, if memory serves, or at least, you know, like it looked like it was all coming from behind the keep. Right. And yeah, I didn't need to know. I didn't need to see like, oh, no, actually, there's these huge lights that we have set up here because we thought of this long time ago at Helm's Deep. No, 
Sometimes you just have to admit that this is a fucking movie or a TV show and it needs to be lit. Not everybody needs to be, you know, God, who's the Alexander Inaratu, the guy who directed The Revenant. We need to shoot it in natural light. Like, again, it looks better, but I don't think it looks better when you can't really tell what's going on. And that that's again, you know, I I don't know. That was a thing in Game of Thrones that I noticed. And here it's just like. And don't I hope it's the show doesn't have a lot of night scenes because it was kind of hard to tell what was going on. But then we have a Ron Deere show back up, which feels very Deus Ex Elf. Mm. And oh, it totally is. Right. <laughs> I'm about to murder you. And I'm still waiting. And oh, oh, I heard the noise. I'm dead now. Thwack. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very convenient. I actually liked all the stuff with Arondir and Adar. I think it's interesting. Nice. Yeah. I think that the actor who plays Adar got an interesting look to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, he looks almost familiar in, either both in and out of the makeup. And I can't place him, though. I've seen his filmography and I'm just like, yeah, I, I'm not picturing you in any of these things. Yeah, I mean, like I had mentioned, he's a he's kind of a Game of Thrones weird kind of hanger on to that show because of the way they treated his character. So my hope is they give him more to do here. He's an interesting villain. I mean, this isn't the kind, you know, we haven't had non we've kind of had non orc villains. I mean, we've had like the monsters of the world villains, but mm-hmm. we've never had a villain like this before. So no. it's going to be interesting because it's a sentient corporeal villain. That's not an orc. Which yeah, not you can really actually a have thing. a conversation with you. Right. It doesn't require the mouth of Sauron. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Right. But and like, interestingly, I was able to engage with this character and kind of get a little bit more of his insight on him. And he didn't talk for like a half an hour like Kang in that Loki finale. Right. Well, and that, again, that's the other thing that I appreciate is not is it wasn't like an exposition dump of right. the highest order. And that's what I was expecting. I was expecting Adar to just be like, well, let me tell you something. Yeah. And he just goes into this. <laughs> yeah, he starts twirling his mustache and telling them, you know, well, this is what I plan on doing. And this is how we plan on doing it. It's like he doesn't tell them anything. No. He's just like, you know, go tell your people, give up, surrender or we're going to kill him. It's like, oh, OK, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. you leave me wanting more. I yeah. want to know more about this guy, please. Yeah. And I can only imagine we're going to get more of it, if not next week, the week after. Again, they seem to be giving one of the stories a week off, it would seem. Mm-hmm. So next week, I don't know who I would assume. Probably it seems like the story that is getting time off is always going to be. It's either the Elrond story or the Harfoot story is getting time right. out. Because we've seen Galadriel almost every week, and we've seen Arondir and Bronwyn almost every week. A mm-hmm. One of them, or both right. of them. So Elrond stuff and the Harfoot stuff is seemingly, I guess, the swappable B-plot. It's an interesting way of telling the story. I'm not I'm trying to remember if Game of Thrones went full episodes without checking in on anybody. I think they must have. It's weird for this kind of story, because, again, I don't associate that with Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. I honestly I don't I don't think that the pacing is that off, though, for this first season. I was wondering to myself, like, does this show feel rushed? And again, with some of the Numenor stuff, it does. But it honestly feels like I can't I'm having a hard time understanding what the point of anything in Numenor was other than to just meet Elendil and Isildur. She's gone from there. Yeah. 
theoretically, supposedly. So we're being led to believe by the way the episode ends. Oh. So I don't know. I, I'm excited to see where the, I guess I'm excited to see where the Galadriel story links up with the Galadriel story. I feel like has to link up with the Arondir story at some point because they're all going to, con- I don't know. They all are converging on the Southlands. Are they not? That's what it feels like. Yeah. Already. Like we're in the first season of this show. Right. And the Harfoots are in the Southlands. Arondir and Bronwyn are in the Southlands. And Galadriel and those boats are going to the Southlands. So how is it that everybody's already meeting up in the first season of this show? They're already going to be very close to one another is what I'm getting at. Is it going to be, okay, this season we're going to concentrate on this. And then over here, we're going to concentrate on this other thing, whether it's taking place at the same time or a little bit later. That's what I wonder, because again, like the show I thought was going to have a longer runway for some of this stuff. And it feels like it's just like like some of these like she's already she was in Numenor for two episodes and she's already out of there. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, like, all right, fine, like, cool. Like, (laughs) again, like I'm not I can't fault the show for wanting to cover a lot of ground because it feels like it has a lot of ground to cover. But I guess I just didn't. Again, with a show like this, it's hard to really understand what their timeline is other than five seasons. So I don't know. I'm I'm digging the show. You know, everybody keeps saying, you know, is it better than Game of Thrones or is Lord of the Rings better? I think they both scratch different itches. I think this is definitely this is a show you could watch with your family. This is like Mm -hmm. a more of a not a family show, but more of a not say even kid friendly, but it hews closer to the lore and the lore and the Lord of the Rings is not as over the top as Game of Thrones is. I think this show's still a little bit better than Game of Thrones, but I think they both are having the same issue of like not feeling like we're given enough time with any characters enough to get to know them. This show, it's because there's so many. Mm-hmm. And in that show, it's because they keep time jumping every episode. Like in Game of Thrones, they've gone from, they've gone like four years already through four episodes. Like they'll come back to the show and it'll be like six months later or a year later. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't get my bearings here because you're jumping time in between episodes every time. (laughs) This show is just like, this show is pinballing around really, really hard even. I mean, to the point about your wife walking out of the room, like the stuff in Numenor, the fact that they come back to it so many times in this episode, is just, it's excessive. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm honestly like already sick of the Numenor stuff and that's going to be terrible to say, but like, <laughs> it's not interesting. They haven't made it interesting. Yeah. Now I'm to the point where I'm just like, okay, do I go back and watch this episode again with Andrea? Do I go back a few episodes and say, let's rewatch this whole four hours now? I don't know what to do. Or if she's just checked out completely. Well, wouldn't I wouldn't blame her for checking out because when the show is putting the focus on the Numenorian characters who are not are just very poorly one dimensional. I mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just weird. Like I, I would have, ex- I wouldn't have expected this show would struggle as hard as it is with its Game of Thrones adjacent stuff that it's doing. Cause that's what it feels. The Numenor stuff feels the most like Game of Thrones, but like really poorly written Game of Thrones. And again, I, I think that's because Lord of the Rings doesn't have that stuff baked into it at the core. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, Lord of the in Lord of the Rings, at least in the Silmarillion, which I know that this isn't drawing from. You didn't have kings 
fighting for succession and all that. And that's a huge part of Game of Thrones. I mean, that's the name of the show, Game of Thrones. Lord of the Rings never had that. And so what's weird is they're trying to like sort of inject that into the show. To me, it's just like, this is not, this isn't Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And I might actually agree with the people on the internet for the first time. Some of this stuff in this, some of the stuff in this episode is a little nod Lord of the Rings, but I think it's primarily because of a time and a place that we exist in now where we can't put the cork in the bottle of Game of Thrones anymore. Right. Can't do right. that. So I don't know if you like Game of Thrones, go watch that. If you like Lord of the Rings, go watch that. This is not fucking DC and and uh, Marvel. You <laughs> can like both. One existed long before the other. So. And one is directly influenced by the other, and one is direct kind of response in a subversive way to the other. So you can like both, but I think it is a tad unfortunate that they're both out on TV at the same time because it's just the amount of comparisons and the amount of bitching feels amplified because people will be like, well, Game of Thrones did it better. It's like, well, then just go watch that. Right. Just go watch that then. We're not forcing you to watch this. Nobody is. Bezos isn't forcing you yet. <laughs> Wait till that chip gets activated, though. The like in Clockwork Orange, you're sitting there, Lord yes. of the Rings, dripping it into your eyes. Help me! <laughs> you're gonna watch. I don't want to see the elves. I don't want to see the dwarfs. I don't want to see any of it. I want to see more dwarf singing, singing to the rocks, and yeah. resonating with the rocks so much that the rocks are like vibrating. I really like that. Again, that everything cool. with the dwarfs is. So far for me, the dwarfs have been the best part of the show. The dwarfs and then the orcs are a close second. All right. When you're getting stuff with the dwarves that you you got a little bit more from the Hobbit and just like what dwarf culture is like. Right. And and you didn't get I'm talking about the Hobbit the book, and you didn't really get that in the Hobbit the movie. It was just like like I said last week or the week before, it was just like, I don't know, seven, twelve dudes or whatever that just all had funny names and there was very little that stood out. But you know, I felt like I knew the dwarves and really felt for the dwarves. So then when you know Gimli shows up, it's just like, oh cool, a dwarf character. That's great. You know, I was more excited for a dwarf than for the elves. Well, and I'm with you. I mean, you know, I think I said it probably in the first or second episode that we did the same thing. Like dwarves have been the underutilized characters in the adaptations of the Lord of the Rings, not the books, the mm-hmm. adaptations. And yeah, Gimli's a great character, but he's a B character in those movies. I mean, he's an A character in the second movie, but in the first movie and the third movie, he's kind of a B character. But here in the show, like Doran is a lead. He is oh, one yeah. of the leads of our show. And yeah, getting to see Khazad Doom before the Balrogs show up, but knowing yeah. that the Balrogs are going to show up, which is thoroughly depressing in a really terrible way. Mm-hmm. But I mean, look, all these characters, for the most part, that you've seen that aren't elves are going to be dead, are, are long dead by the time of the Fellowship. So it's like, again, it almost doesn't matter that they die because they're they're dead anyways by the time you right. get to Fellowship. So, no, I'm 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 everything with the dwarfs is really the best part of the show. And if people have a problem with the dwarf part of the show, then I don't know how you can find any enjoyment with the show, because as far as I'm concerned, the dwarf, the dwarfs and the Elrond Elrond's interaction with Doran and Disa are just whoever's writing that stuff gets the source material. Yeah. Put that person on everything else. And I, that's got to be the way they're writing the show, right? Is like certain teams are tackling certain story beats or something. Cause it, 
it's clear it's not just one team writing the show. It might uh-huh. not even be one team writing these episodes. There are, you know, one or two people listed on the episodes, but I can't help but wonder that the core writing room is probably getting in notes on everything along with oh, one yeah. one Jeff Bezos. So I don't know. I, I feel like hopefully by the end of the season we'll have seen a turnaround on the Numenor storyline. But yeah, everything else is really I think everything else is really compelling, but they're just giving a lot of time to that stuff with Galadriel. And I mm-hmm. hope, like you said, now that we've left, ostensibly we're leaving Numenor, we're moving on to the Southlands, back to Middle-earth, maybe it'll start picking up. We'll get to see her d- doing anything other than being locked in a cell for three episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, you showed us how g- cool of a character she could be. Yeah, is she a little different than the character in the movies? Sure. But you know what? thousands of years later whatever but i don't want to see her locked up anymore because you didn't even let her you didn't let us see much of anything with her to begin with and then to just be like well now she's locked up in numenor it's like god damn it show like come on give us something yeah Yeah. for real for real give us something because i you know as much as i care about the palantir oh my god it's okay you're showing us the same thing twice now in one episode Uh uh-huh because they op- I was in the opening of the episode's pretty successful. It's showing us something that, again, we've never seen. We've only ever heard about. But then, of course, it's a dream. Because, of right. course, it is. Because, again, this is the third episode, the fourth episode of the show. So it's just, like, so strange to me. I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm enjoying the show. But I am starting to wonder if, if there are parts of the show that are just never going to excel in ways that other parts of the show do, which it would make perfect sense. Game of Thrones had the same problem. These kinds of shows have that problem where you've got eight or nine different storylines. Not all of them are going to be winners. Yeah. Yeah. With the opening, it has to be so annoying to watch television or movies with me because with the opening, I was just like, and wake up and then cut. She woke up. I was like, okay. <laughs> but I mean, again, like it's, it's so it smacks of laziness. Some yeah. of the stuff is lazy. Like that is just, yeah, like there's, I was thinking to myself the same thing. I was like, they're not destroying Numenor this early on in no. the show. Like, no, no, it's a dream. Yeah. And then it's like, and then they have to reinforce how it's a dream in the construct of the world because it's not really a dream. It's the Palantir. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little weak, but it's all right. You know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the fan editors to <laughs> take this. But you know what they're going to want to do immediately is they're going to want to take Rings of Power and they're going to, too early, they're going to try to like append it to The Hobbit and to Lord of the Rings. And it's just like, don't do that. Don't do that. Just if you want to rearrange the storytelling, if you want to make it you know, a little tighter and stuff, like take your eight hours and shrink it down to like, I don't know, six. I'm sure you could probably do that and just put some stuff in different places. That's fine. Go for it. I'm. I'm cool with that, you know, and taking away this little, you know, dream sequence that that seems like a good thing that you could chop, but also at the same time, don't take it and be like, okay, we're slavishly going to reorder everything in the order of the appendices. And oh my God, please just a word of warning fan editors. Don't go nuts like that. Well, I was going to say, I mean, there are, there are going to undoubtedly be by the end of the, the season, there's going to be one or two storylines that are not worth oh, yeah. having anybody revisit. I mean, again, yeah, we've talked about before the idea with this show that the show is, they know how long they've got. They know how many episodes they have. 
They know where the story is going. But by the end of it, there's going to be one or two stories that were like, this just wasn't that interesting. Yeah. And that is what fan editors are for. Not every fan edit needs to be the Spice Diver Dune fan edit, where he goes and rotoscopes in blue eyes. I mean, you know, there doesn't need to be, like you said, that level of commitment. But somebody will undoubtedly do something with this once this show is over. But that's fine, right? Do you know what they're going to do? There's, oh God. I've already seen stills where people have started to do this with AI. I've seen stills where they've taken little black Ariel and redone her as a white girl with red hair. And I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. What kind of racist piece of shit do you have to be to do that? And there's going to be those same a-holes are going to be turning elves and dwarves and everybody else white and it's like oh my god really so just be aware of those already so talk about computer wizardry the bright bark there yes exactly the, the, the lord the jrrrrr right wing edition the jrr right wing edition yeah. special non-woke edition <laughs> yeah those the ron DeSantis cut <laughs> you look again it's like such it's so fucking sickening anymore that this yes. is constant a constant but guess what I don't personally know anybody who gives a shit about the color of anybody's fucking skin in any of this shit period no. anymore and you know what I don't know if you do either Oh I mean personally no personally I have no one that gives a shit there can be any ethnicity on screen and they're not going to care so yeah, I'm glad that those are the people I know, and I don't know the other ones. I don't know if those other people exist outside of the internet is more what I'm getting. At. I don't I even l- know if they exist like in real life or if they're just like bots. That's what I'm saying. Like I don't, I don't know if they're real or yeah. if they're just like someone on the internet going and being like, "I'm gonna stir the shit up." Which, like, you know what? Like, kudos to you for being that guy for just why well, I'm gonna stir the shit up. But like, there are plenty of ways that you could do that and be constructive. Like, you don't have to be like, Black Ariel, like, how about broken judicial system or not giving kids free meals at school and making their fucking parents who can barely afford to food on the table at home. Maybe do something about that. Like, it just feels like one hand over here doing something and everybody else is focusing on the Lord of the Rings and the Black Elves. Like, Mm -hmm. There's a vested, I'm not saying there's a vested interest in keeping our attention on stupider things, but if we're focusing on the color of Ariel's skin, we're not focusing on kids getting food at schools or people who are struggling with addiction or mental illness or any of the big issues. So like you said, just to keep in perspective, you Lord of the Rings fans, not that I would consider you Lord of the Rings fans, because if you're a real Lord of the Rings fan, you would shut the fuck up about it. If you don't like the lore... That's fine. I actually understand being upset about the lore, but this is also a fucking adaptation and you're not adapting it and you never will because your ideas are bad and no one wants to listen to you. And maybe these people's ideas aren't any better, but they're the people whose ideas they're going with. And if they're not good, then we can talk about how not good they are. But let their ideas be bad first before you run them out of town on a fucking railroad. Because that's the other thing. It's like the show hasn't even the show was not even out and people were angry. Oh, yeah. And now yeah. the show is out and it's like, well, we're still angry. And it's like, oh, shocking. <laughs> like I'm surprised as anybody else. So, yeah, I, you know what? That's that's why I'm like, I don't want to say like I'm done with this show or this show is, you know, whatever, because I don't want to be lumped in with the rest of these totally fictitious people that don't exist. But 
people get a life as william shatner yeah. once said on that snl skit get a yeah. fucking life this show is even at this show's middle of the roadsiest which is kind of this episode as far as i'm concerned it's still decent still looks nice yeah <laughs> the money that they're spending to make it look nice is still on screen that's for sure yeah those, those dwarf masks are cool the dwarf masks that open like this that's great that's pretty cool i'm just yeah. i'm i'm an idiot podcaster amused by stupid things yeah. Well, I, Mike. Yep. Well put. Yeah, yeah. Well put. Not much more I can add to that, Chris. Not much more. I much more I have to say, really. Other than what are we talking about on the next episode? TBA <laughs> titled episode number five. <laughs> yes, one point five. That's what we're talking about. So yeah, until we get to see episode one point five, we are Mike and Chris. So Chris, what is happening with you, sir? Uh, if you want to find out about this idiot podcaster's more terrible opinions about you know racial equality and giving a shit about one another, cstachy.com, c-s-t-a-c-h-i-w.com. That's my link tree. Go there for all the things that I work on. There are a lot of them and yeah there are a lot of them what about you mike where can people find you you can always find me over at the projection booth podcast which is available at projectionboothpodcast.com oddly enough well i want to thank everybody for listening if you've given us a review and rating over on itunes i haven't read it yet i'm very curious if anybody's gonna do that but that might be kind of cool wokesters they're wokesters exactly that's exactly what we're gonna looks like wokesters are back on the menu boys (laughs) god (laughs) 